Well, our scripture readings tonight um, from the Old and New Testament are Psalm 1 and then in Matthew 7. First, Psalm 1, and uh, from which will be the sermon, mostly the first three verses. The psalmist says this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, the way of the ungodly shall perish. And then from Matthew, in this section of Matthew 7, this is the Lord speaking here in verse 21, and He says, Not everyone who says to Me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, And the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Well, join me in prayer, please. Well, dear Lord, tonight I ask of you that you would please be gracious unto us in in that you would speak through me. Lord, I, I desire, Lord, that... I would not misrepresent you at all. I desire, Lord, that what I say would not be from myself, but from you. Lord, please fill us with your Holy Spirit that I might speak pleasing and we might all receive and hear in a manner that's pleasing unto you. Lord, and show us how your word applies to our lives specifically and grant us that we might obey. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I thought I'd pick an obscure passage. <laughs> Just kidding. Psalm 1. <laughs> um, I, you know, it's funny when Scott was talking about uh, his, you know, decision on what to preach on this morning and how it could relate to the new year. And... Um, 
you know, the, the new season that comes with the new year. Uh, I did the same thing, and uh, I thought that uh, Psalm 1 would be a great passage for that, and I agreed with, um, I agreed with Scott when he was saying that um, there is good in, in this uh, idea of, you know, a recommitment, a reset um, in a new season, um, but that it doesn't have to be, you know, just on January 1st of every year. It really should be our life's attitude as we repent um, day in and day out, right? As we grow, as we're sanctified. So, um, But I entitled the sermon Consequences of Delight um, and will be mostly in the first three verses of Psalm 1. Uh, but I picked Psalm 37 particularly um, to go along with this. And, and even with um, you know, the, the New Testament reading in Matthew and and the song we sang from Psalm 16, I'm, I'm sure you guys noticed as well, this great contrast between the righteous and the wicked, right? Um, in almost everything we, we read or sang so far this evening. But let's get right into God's word here. I'm sorry. Um, so the beginning of the psalm starts off and it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of of the ungodly, or stands in the path of sinners, or sits in the seat of the scornful. And, you know, we um, touched on this a little bit this morning, actually. I, I, I thought how, uh, how good it is um, that so many things that Scott said, um, you know, coincide with what I will be saying tonight. So what does it mean to be blessed? I, I think that you know, it's like an um, an exclamation point on happiness. Um, but then that needs to be defined too, right? And so what the psalmist is saying here is, oh, happy is the man that... And here we go. And, and we, start, we start off, we see him saying, that doesn't do this, this, and this. And that does do this. And then this is what happens in verse 3. So what is happiness? It's, I think, fullness or contentment, satisfaction. But it's, it's much more specific than that. Biblically, it's only truly derived from the goodwill of God received by one made fit by God to identify its derivation and experience its purpose and then glorify God for his good will toward them. You see. Now, when the world says, I'm happy this, I'm happy that, I think we need to, in our minds, completely just separate that from how the Bible describes happiness. Because biblical happiness, which, like I said, is connected, basically, to the goodness of God and his will towards his children whom he loves, cannot be experienced by those who are outside of the family of God. Isn't that something? We, we know that our salvation through Christ is exclusive. right? There is no other way to the Father except by Jesus. But have you ever thought the same thing regarding happiness? There's no true happiness found outside of Christ. 
No religion offers it. No system of thought offers it. Nothing that you can possess. No relationship that you can have. The world's happiness is really just blind deceit. And the world being the great umbrella term for anything besides a relationship with Christ. Only the child of God can be happy. Truly. Only the one who finds favor in God's eyes to become one of his own, made alive to glorify him by enjoying him in his perfect will. That is the one who can be happy as the Bible communicates, as God describes. So truly, if this is the case, then then there is no happiness outside of what we would learn in the word or in the law of the Lord, like verse 2 says. This, the contrast that we see between the biblically blessed, and let's call that the one whom the psalmist is speaking of at the beginning of verse 1. Blessed is the man who... That's the biblically blessed. And then let's call the world, those who act like is described as the verse 1 continues, you know, the one who um, walks in the counsel of the ungodly, the one who stands in the path of the sinner, the one who sits in the seat of the scornful. Let's call that the world. Let's call those the blinded blessed. Those who think they are blessed. Those who think they have blessings coming. But they don't. Right? Just like we saw in Psalm 37. Let's not fret because of the supposed prosperity of those who are wicked. For their day is coming. How many times did it say that they shall be cut off? They shall be cut off. They shall be cut off. And they don't know it. They don't know what's coming. They think they just have good coming. It's amazing. When I was preparing, I kept thinking of the American dream and how ungodly it can be. Now, it is right to be thankful that we can worship in this country, uh, but we shouldn't, we, we shouldn't associate ourselves with the worldly view that many in this country, apart from Christ, um, hold. So the contrast between those two blessed, the biblically blessed and the blinded blessed, is made clear in what the true blessed man does not do. And that's what we see the Psalms Psalms start with. Three things that are absent from a blessed life, right? Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. That's the first thing. Now, the details here are important because they show something deeper than what perhaps we might um, derive from the passage if we just read it quickly. It does not say, blessed is the man who walks not in ungodly counsel. It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. There's a huge distinction there. We would all say, well, yeah, I mean, obviously, 
Like, who's going to be like, oh, you know what? I, I would love to be blessed. I'm going to go seek ungodly counsel. We would all probably say, of course, that's, that's sound advice. That's not what it says. It says don't go seek advice from an ungodly person. There's a big difference there. And why is that important for us when we read this from the psalmist? I think the importance lies in the fact that we have such a Savior, such a Lord, that desires us to come to Him with our every need, with our every question, our every want. In Him are hid all the treasures of wisdom, of knowledge. So why would we go somewhere else? If He is our shepherd, and from this shepherd, tending and caring for us, we will lack nothing, then why in the world would we seek advice from anyone besides Him, even if that advice ends up being good? You see what I'm saying here? Blessedness is found, first of all, in, let's, let's say this in a positive fashion, in only seeking advice from God. And that could come through His people in many forms, as we minister to each other, as the Word is preached here, as we're reading ourselves. But what I'm saying is, I think our jealous God would be offended if we don't, with everything that we are in all circumstances of our lives, just go straight to Him for all of our needs. Blessed is the man whose source for everything is Jesus. How about that? I think that fits. The one in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Like I said, that's from Colossians 2.3. The second thing is, blessed is the man who... So you don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. The second thing is, you don't stand in the path of sinners. Don't take a stand with sinners on their path. And I think this is... Um, easily seen as not sinners as those who sin, because we'd all fall in that category, right? But those who are um, not going to be in the congregation of the righteous, like it says in verse 5, right? If you look down there, you can see the distinction and understand that contextually, that's what David is talking about here. Look at verse 5. The ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. So, it's not so much um, whether or not one sins, it's the difference between those left in sin and those saved from sin. Saved from sin, that's the congregation of the righteous. Left in sin, that's the sinner. Those who are left to their sin. And in the will of the Lord, if it is His will, then rightly so, for He owes us nothing, right? The path of the sinners. I thought of the Lord's um, 
teaching regarding the broad road to, to destruction as well as the narrow way to life. And I thought of this path of the sinners and likened it to that broad way to destruction. But that also, we at times really do need to go there, don't we? For ministry's sake. I mean, think about this, right? The narrow way to life that a Christian is traveling on sometimes intersects with the broad road to destruction. But only for the sake of the gospel and the will of the Lord. And that's okay. I also thought, I'm I'm picturing the Lord's teachings, and I was thinking about when he was teaching and and asking the disciples, who do you say that I am? And we remember this, this scene, and, you know, Peter says, well, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and Jesus says, well, you know, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. My Father did. And, and then remember he goes on to say the gates of hell will not prevail against the church that he builds according to the Father's revelation to, to those whom he chooses to reveal the Son to. And I was thinking, isn't it interesting regarding the blessedness of this man described here in Psalm 1, how, like, let's say the Christian is on the narrow path that leads to life. It's hard, it's difficult, it's narrow, it leads to life. And when you come up to that spot where there's an intersection of the the narrow and the broad, the gates of hell are right there. You're just going to go right through. Satan does not want you on that path if you're there for the sake of the gospel. You will go. You will accomplish what God sends you to accomplish for his sake. I thought, what an awesome picture that is. Because believe me, the kingdom of hell does not want this blessed man on that broad road to destruction if the purpose is to get people onto the narrow way to life. I thought that was a great picture. But that's, you know, that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about the one who, first of all, is sort of apathetic regarding counsel, regarding direction for life, and and they know there's a goodness to the counsel of God, but it's like, well, yeah, I guess so, but let's see what Oprah has to say, or (laughs) Oprah, you know, she says some good things, right? Or Dr. Phil, or... Or, God forbid, any politician. <laughs> um, and so there's, there's sort of this divided heart to begin with. And then, you know, you're on this path of sinners and you're not there for ministry's sake. Your heart's already divided. And you're standing there in this sort of state of comfort with people around you that don't regard God. Don't do that. So first, and the first thing when it comes to counsel, do you not have Jesus, who is the wonderful counselor, to go to with all your needs? And second, do you not have a family to surround yourself with, to stand with on the narrow way to life in your life? See, third, and you guys see the progression here, is blessed is the man who does not sit in the seat of the scornful, because that's what's going to happen. 
If you let your heart become divided, if you don't go to God and acknowledge Him in all your ways, Scott's favorite verse, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge Him in all your ways and He will direct your paths. If you don't do that, and then you end up finding yourself comfortable standing with those who are on their way to hell, not because you would like to remove them from that path and bring them onto your path in the will of God, the next thing is going to be that you're going to find your heart more like theirs than your heart like God's. And that, that's what happens when your heart is divided and you allow it to be so. When your heart is divided between God and anything else, both sides um, cannot remain strong. One will win. One will give in. Just like Jesus said, you cannot have two masters. You cannot serve God and mammon. You will end up hating the one and loving the other and vice versa. So don't be the one who takes rest in the place where God and his word are scorned. This is the action of one with a heart of stone, not a heart of flesh, not a heart that's made fit for sonship, daughtership with God. So there's the first part of those who are found fulfilled according to God's plan in Scripture, who are found satisfied. The ones who... Love Jesus, love his body, and love his word. Now let's get into verse 2 and see what does the blessed man do. Remember, verse 1 is what he doesn't do. Verse 2 is what he does. It says his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. The fact that it says but his delight as it transitions into that sentence shows that there is a contrast of delight. Your delight is either in the ways of verse 1, from which death will come, or contrastly in the word of God, which is given by God for the good of those he takes delight in, for his glory. And let's stop and focus on that for a moment, and we'll talk about it again. But the fact that the contrast is between those who find delight, who find pleasure in the counsel of the ungodly, because they don't care, as long as it fits what's going on with their lives. doesn't matter if a pastor says it. doesn't matter if um, an imam says it. It doesn't matter if you know some guy who belongs to no religion says it. If you read it in Time magazine or if you hear it on NPR, it's like, well, yeah, that sounds good to me, right? You know, that guy who finds delight because it's fulfilling to his flesh, standing with those who are in like mind with him to the point where they would sit down and even mock and scorn at God himself. And then those who love the word of God. And I said, the word of God is given by God for the good of those that he takes delight in. Now, it's not spoken here, but it is. It is a truth of Scripture that 
You cannot delight in God unless He delights in you to delight in Him. And that's the biggest thing. That's the most important thing. We read in Matthew chapter 7, these people that would come to Jesus in the day of judgment and say, Lord, Lord, haven't I done all these things? And those lists of things there are amazing. I, I, I haven't done any of them. But nonetheless, God will say to me by his grace that I am welcomed in. And he says to these, depart from me. I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness, you workers of iniquity. So we know that those who are known by God are those who are allowed to know him. The psalm even speaks of this form of knowledge. In verse 6, if you notice, it says, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous. That's so much more than him just saying, yeah, I know what's going to happen to you. It's an intimate, relational knowledge. It's a knowledge with purpose. It's a knowledge um, that, well, Romans 8, that is predestined to conform those ones into the image of his Son. So, His delight is in the law of the Lord. That's a gift. And what happens with this blessed man who finds his delight in the instruction of God and the Bible and the word of God is he meditates on it day and night. I think just for simplicity's sake, let's just understand that that means all the time. Right? I mean... um, it can't be a 24-7 thing practically. Sometimes it can. Sometimes you can um, dream regarding what the Lord is doing in your life, regarding the scriptures that um, you're being fed with. Um, sometimes in the middle of the night you can wake up and you could be conscious and aware to recall and bring to memory scriptures that you've memorized, or you could have your Bible there. Um, But it's not meant to to be like so strict and stringent like that. Um, Day and night, all the like, you know, you're always like, you know, walking around work like. That's not the case. The case is for us to have God's word in our heart and to memorize it and to hide it so that we can bring it to our to our uh, our minds and and even our lips very organically, because it's our life. Now, this one that takes delight in the law of the Lord, who finds his pleasure in God's instructions for life to the point where it is his whole life, like I said, um, day day and night, this is that blessed man. Now, in fact, or if in fact, you are to be truly blessed um, and Verse 3 is actually what I think explains what the blessed life looks like. So if you are to be truly blessed and experience verse 3, this is the only way. Verse 2. It's the only way. Remember for God to find His delight in you in order that you might delight in His Word in order that it might be your everything day and night. 
So we can't allow our hearts to be divided and think that there's a recipe to get to verse 3. Verse 3 sounds awesome, right? We can't think that there's some sort of recipe where you, you know, sprinkle in a little of verse 1, sprinkle in a little, little, little of verse 2, put it together, and out comes verse 3. Verse 3 will never come with any amount of verse 1 in it. Verse 3 will only come from God's delight in you to delight in Him. If the things in verse 1 are absent, if the things in verse 2 are present, verse 3 is a sure thing. And it's also, I think it's interesting to know the deception of Satan that when we read verse 3, let's consider this together right now. This is the blessed man who finds his delight in the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaves also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. I say to you, to myself, that Satan doesn't mind if you want that. Interesting, right? As long as you don't go about it by verse 2. If you have verse 3 as your goal and have any little bit of verse 1 in there, Satan's like, yes. Because he wants divided hearts. He wants Christians who are weak. Christians who are not focused. Christians who, like like we read this morning from James, who are double-minded, and when they find themselves in any sort of need for wisdom and they go to God, well, let not that man assume that he will receive anything from the Lord. And then Satan wins. We lose. So, it's not... The important thing is not verse 3. The important thing is pre-verse 2. You guys remember what that is? God's delight in us. Right? It's kind of like when Jesus taught that we should seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then what? All these things will be added unto you. You don't worry about this, you don't worry about this, you don't worry about this. He's not saying that those things aren't important. He's saying those aren't the focal points. Those aren't your priorities. You look at me and you focus on me and then all these things will come. It's the same thing right here. If, because of His love for us, we focus on Him and we delight in Him and His Word and we meditate on it day and night, then we will be like that tree. If not, then we certainly won't. So remember, verse 3 is the result of verse 2. Verse 2 is the result of God finding delight and showing favor to those whom He desires to. God's delight in us, in our salvation, in our redemption, in our sanctification, um, His delight to replace our hearts of stone with hearts of flesh. His delight, in other words, think of hearts of stone as hearts of death and hearts of flesh as hearts of life. His desire to do that work in us specifically, right? In Val, in Kelly, in Donna. I mean, it's specific, right? Chosen before the foundations of the world. That is in order for you to have a life like verse 3, according to His will. 
But the road leads right through verse 2. So let's remember the order there. And remember that our hearts are only made alive for this purpose to glorify God by experiencing this said prescribed life. Now let's look at verse 3 a little bit in detail. Just a little bit. The tree by the waters, the rivers of water. Think of being steadfast and secure. Think of continual nourishment and life. I liken it to John 15, right? You know the picture? The vine and the branches and the husbandmen, and we cannot do anything outside of Jesus without Him. Now this fruit that the psalmist talks about from this tree by the rivers of water, the fruit that comes in its season, I think of this in two different ways. One, you think seasonally, so I think that when we, when we think of God's will for our lives, it always includes timing, and we miss that sometimes, don't we? Like, God's will includes His timing just as much as what will happen. Like, the what and the when are, are, are the will of God. Right? Um, so that's what I think of, perhaps, with the seasons. The other thing, when it comes to season and producing fruit and the Christian being the tree by the, by the rivers of water, is, is this, and that is that we know the fruit of the Spirit is love from Galatians chapter 5. And then I think the, the things listed following that are, let's say, the fruit of love, because fruit is singular there, the fruit of the Spirit. But that season um, is continual. That's fair, right? So in one sense, the fruit that comes in its season, well, the Christian should always be one that loves, loves God, loves the brethren, loves the lost. So it's not like we're ever like, well, it's not really a, you know, it's not really a love season right now. <laughs> right? So no, don't think that. But when it comes to other things regarding fruit, I think, I think we can say like, um, seasonally God has different plans for our lives and, and that's what we can apply there. When it comes to unfading leaves, I think what the psalmist is saying that regardless of the seasons of the world, the leaves of the Christian um, that continually finds delight in God and His Word will not fade. You see. Now, I said the world, not the earth, because this is a spiritual picture um, using physical uh, things. So, so, no matter what's going on outside of us, I referenced this earlier. We won't go there for time's sake, but you know what it says at the end of Romans chapter 8, right? It lists all these things, all these circumstances, all these potential happenings. They could happen, they might not, but it doesn't matter because when it comes down to it, the most important thing is that no created thing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So there could be some crazy storms. The wind is blowing and the rain is coming down. And like we haven't seen anything like this before. But if your house is built upon the rock, it's immovable like the tree by the river whose roots are deep, like it says in Jeremiah. And those leaves will not wither. It doesn't matter if there's this insane drought without. It doesn't matter if the wind is blowing like hurricane force, a tornado. It, it matters not what the trials are outside because you, spiritually, have deep, deep roots. And that is your source of life 
And you will always say, look at my leaves. I am a Christian tree. When everyone else's leaves are withering. Now bring this back to the, to the path of the sinners and the broad road to destruction. And you know what? When you're there on ministry, because like it says, the wind, and like it says in Matthew, the storms come, the winds blow, the rain's coming down, and it's just insane weather, right? Well, when you're on the broad road to destruction for ministry's sake, you know what you should be doing? You should be witnessing of the nourishment you receive by Christ as a tree planted by the rivers of water so that your leaves are there. Boom, here's my leaves. And everyone's looking at you like, I don't have leaves. Man, my leaves are gone. Now, if you're a Christian who is practicing any of those things in verse 1 and not living in verse 2, man, your leaves are going to fade. You're going to fit right in with the world. And you're going to be a failure of a witness to Jesus Christ. What a picture. And then, of course, we see that there's this idea of always prospering. And let's remember that this is according to God. It's not according to our flesh, how we define what a, what a prospering life looks like. It's not according to how the world would define what a prospering life looks like. And so, again, I referenced this earlier, but let's, let's bring it to our recollection regarding this, and that's Romans 8.28. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, those who are the called according to His purpose. And again, we see there, just like we talked about regarding the psalm and delight, God's delight, we see there that who are those that love God? Well, it's those that God calls to love Him. Right? Who are those that delight in the law of God and meditate on it day and night? Those who God delights to bring them into that relationship. And then what does their life look like if they're just focused on that? If they're focused on loving God? Man, their life looks like verse 3 of Psalm 1. Doesn't that sound awesome? Those who delight in God are the ones whom God delights in first. If we would like to see verse 3 as a description of our lives as God's children, as, our, as God's children, um, remember that God desired that first. It's His desire. God desired and God delighted that it would be so. That's a great hope. That is a great expectation. That God lays out here the prescription for verse 3. And that is His delight in us to unite our hearts to fear His name. Like the psalmist says elsewhere. That we would have one master and that would be him. Having built our house upon the rock, immovable from the storms. Also being shown as a picture of a tree so firm and planted deep by the rivers of water and nourishment. So that we could bring glory to his name. 
so that we could be faithful witnesses of Jesus no matter what's going on without. Doesn't that sound awesome? And that's only for His children. And it can only be done in this way that we read. Let's pray. Lord, what a great blessing it is to know that this here was what You found delight in far before You told us that it's what we are to find delight in. You have taken our death stony hearts and and made them alive. Hearts alive of flesh for You. So Lord, may all here count everything outside of You as rubbish and, and look to You to find our joy and our delight in You, to be in Your presence all the time. That You would be our source for everything. That our eyes could not be moved as they're fixed upon You. That we would be people of Your Word, that by Your Spirit we would be drawn to it all the time. Regarding everything in life. Lord, that we would be those who meditate on Your Word day and night and encourage each other to do that as well. Lord, so that others may taste and see that You are good. So that others may eat of this fruit that comes from being connected to the vine and taken care of by the vine dresser. So that others may see our witness and that no matter what happens in this world, our leaves don't fade. And so that others may see that it doesn't matter the, the circumstances of our life socially or economically or, or, or any other circumstance. We prosper. Completely separate from the things that the world deems good and prosperous. And that our joy is full uniquely for Your children. Do that work in us, God. For Your sake, lead us in the paths of righteousness. And in Your name we pray. Amen.